Hello, and welcome back to Cam and Rue Start a Book Club. Rue, you are back from Texas. Yes, I had a great time. <laughs> I don't think we told anyone that you were going on a small vacation to Texas, but you did go, and you got to see some cousins and some family members you haven't seen in a long time. 20 years. Mm-hmm. During a pandemic, no less. Well, tell in. Some people had masks on and a lot didn't. Mm-hmm. But you have your vac- vaccinations, you're fully vaccinated, so it seemed like it was a good trip for you. It was a excellent trip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You had a lot of fun. Did you advertise the podcast? I talked to Manny about it. <laughs> your cousin Manny? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, hopefully Manny starts listening. I'm still getting feedback from friends about some of the books that we've been talking about. Um, and that's been really cool and interesting just to see the progress that they're making and some of the comments they have on the books. They're coming to it a little behind and kind of catching up to the books that we're on now. Um, so I'm still getting texts about even our first book. Mm. Did they like it? Uh-huh, yeah. Um, I think there were some surprises. Uh, you and I didn't necessarily talk much about the sex scenes in the book, and so Some friends have been like, oh, I was not expecting that. Yeah, I didn't need that. (laughs) Well, that was something that we kind of missed talking about in that book, and I really thought the author had used that as an outlet for her characters, that when things were going really poorly, they kind of channeled it physically in that way. Well, one guy did. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was his crutch. Mm. All right, well, we should probably move on and start talking about the book that we're, we just read. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and just kind of briefly mention the book that we'll be talking about in the next episode. This one I'm very excited to um, read. I haven't ever read anything by this author before, and that's a, that's a pretty common theme for us lately. Um, but the book is Amnesty by Aravind Diga. And it's about a a main character named Danny, who is an illegal immigrant living in Sydney, Australia, who's been denied refugee status after fleeing Sri Lanka. Danny works as a cleaner living out of a grocery storeroom, and the story really follows him as he's pulled into a murder of someone he knows, and he is kind of dealt with having to decide, does he help the police investigate the murder? Does he come forward with the information he knows about Uh, possible suspects or the death itself um, and risk being deported or does he stay quiet and and let injustice occur? Yeah. I haven't actually started it yet. I've been waiting for you to download this one. Yeah. I think um, that one will be a really good and interesting read. And was that a side read? Did you just give me some shade about how slow I am at reading? No, because I'm retired and I can read all day, but you are not. I am slower at the reading than you. You definitely can get through a book much faster than me, but I do consider myself a fast reader. But um, I've started some new volunteer projects that I'm really excited about, and just some freelance projects are always kind of popping up. So um, it's definitely been a busy, busy summer, but it's been it's been a good summer too. Yes, hmm. Joseph told me. To slow my roll on reading books so that I don't forget about them by the time we record. What are we going to do about, there's one book in particular 
that is super long, The Luminaries. I think that one we probably should have started reading last month because that one's going to take us a while. Well, we can get ahead with this podcast before we get to that. (laughs) I think that particular book, too, that one is huge. I wonder if we'll have to split that into to multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll see. All right, well, let's dig into the book that we're actually here to talk about today, and that is The Postscript Murders by Ellie Griffiths. Um, once again, this is an author that neither one of us has read before, um, and let's do something a, a little different than we normally do. Before we kind of jump into characters, um, maybe we should kind of talk about how we felt about the book so overall what did you kind of take away what did you think about the book I really enjoyed the book but I like murder mysteries and to have one that is so lighthearted and not scary or dark it was it was enlightening I really enjoyed the book and I really liked the characters yeah Which you haven't heard me say ever in a podcast yet <laughs> Yeah, I think this will be the first book that we've read where you, you've actually, I'm very proud of you, you've, you've liked the characters. Yeah, because they're <laughs> likable. <laughs> oh, you've been waiting for likable characters. Yep. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I also thought it was a pretty light, kind of fun read, and I've noticed that just when I was looking at reviews for what people thought about the book after I had read it, um, a lot of people just generally referred to this as a kind of fun um, love letter to murder mysteries kind of reading. I definitely have to agree with that. It was it was much lighter than a lot of the books that we've been talking about. So um, not quite as a, of a deep thinker. So if some of the books, I know some of my friends have started um, some of the books we've already talked about and are a little overwhelmed by some of those themes. If you're looking for something a little lighter, this is definitely the book for you. It was a fun read. Really enjoyed it. Which, what does that say about us that we are referring to a murder mystery as a fun read? I've always said murder <laughs> mysteries are my cup of tea. So, you know, people might think that's odd of a little old retired lady. But here you go. I like the solving of things. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, and it's nice to see people kind of band together and work together to. Mm-hmm create a solution and that's definitely what we have here Um, for those of you that are just joining and and maybe aren't familiar with the book this book follows the death of a 90 year old woman named Peggy Smith Um, and it seems that her death is related to her heart condition there aren't really any um, concerns that this was a murder in itself until her caretaker starts to dig in to who Peggy is and starts to realize that there are maybe some signs that this was maybe not so much of a natural death. Um, And so you see that caretaker starts to pull characters together to investigate the death of Peggy and figure out what happened. Yes, she she knew that Peggy was in fine health before and to all of a sudden find her dead in a chair was surprising in the least. Yeah, so jumping straight into characters, Peggy is obviously our first character. Um, She, again, is a 90-year-old woman with a heart condition, and she's found dead in her apartment. 
um, which is at a, a retirement community. Seaview Port. In Shoreham. Is Shoreham a real place? Yes. Hmm. Um, something that is notable about, I think, her retirement community um, is that one of her friends kind of refers to it as uh, not the best place that you could live, but Peggy really loved it because of the view of the sea. Yeah, well, she had a good apartment facing the sea. And I think Peggy made the difference to a lot of people living there. Hmm. She was definitely an active part of her community. At the start of the book is sitting in front of the window making notes about the people passing by. So she definitely takes notice of the people that are surrounding her and kind of what they're doing, um, making little notes about who they are and what they do and the times that they're coming in and out of her life. In her investigation book. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Is this something that you're doing actively at home? Well, I do sit and look out the window and watch the cove Uh and see the goings-on and who's doing what (laughs) and make judgments thereof. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Have you started... I'm called Mrs. Kravitz. Mm -hmm. Have you started writing your observations down like Peggy? Only in emails to my friends. Interesting. Do you... Did this book leave you worried that you may end up a Peggy? No. I'm going to die sometime. I'm pretty old. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm just saying maybe you should be careful about who you're writing notes about. True. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So we've already kind of touched upon the caretaker, Natalia. She's Ukrainian, and she is the reason that the investigation really takes place. After the death, the son told her that he wanted everything boxed up, so she was boxing things up for him, because he was going to sell everything. That's right. And also, she was kind of looking for clues, because she was doubtful about it being a normal death. Well, I think, you know, for Natalia, that was a little bit of a reach. Obviously, we wouldn't have a story if she hadn't done it, but she also is notably cut off from her family in this story, and it felt like Peggy was her family. And so she had a hard time kind of just letting it be a simple death. She definitely drove the investigation. She made it start. And she had very little evidence to base it on until one evening when they were there looking at the books. Mm -hmm. So Natalia, as she's going through Peggy's things, she finds a few clues that really start to make her feel like there's something worth investigating. The first one is a card that refers to Peggy as a murder consultant, which (laughs) I thought was interesting throughout the book. Something kind of humorous to me was that they really had a hard time, the characters in the book had a hard time wrapping their minds around what a murder consultant might be. Well, and they didn't have a clue how to begin an investigation either, (laughs) until Benedict stepped up. And she also, she found something else while she was there. She found the murder consultant. She found the note. Edwin found the note in the book that he was allowed to choose from Peggy's possession. That's right. The note fell out of the book that he chose. She takes the murder consultant card to the police station. And that was an interesting chapter for a lot of reasons. She meets Detective Harbender there. Um, And Harbender really is the primary detective throughout the book. We meet a couple others, but this is really her case that Natalia's dragged her into. Uh, Something that I thought was 
humorous as we were reading along was just how Harbender's interest in the case kind of transitioned. So when we first meet her, her interest is not so much in the case, but more in Natalia. So she is a lesbian and she does not have a partner and she notices Natalia is a pretty girl and she's kind of like, oh, okay, I'll kind of placate and kind of see where this goes. Well, and she didn't see a case there in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So she thought it was a stretch. Yeah, she thought it was a stretch and she was just kind of, I think, placating Natalia, um, just kind of making friends and seeing what was happening. And then as the book kind of goes along, she obviously starts to find more and more clues that, okay, Natalia might actually have a point and that there may be something worth investigating. Interestingly, also to the point that she starts to suspect Natalia Mm -hmm. (laughs) might have also committed the murder. And Natalia has a degree. She was studying math in Kiev, and then she came to England, and she finished a degree at Bournemouth. Mm-hmm. But she's working as a terror. <laughs> mm-hmm. I found that kind of suspicious myself. <laughs> well, I think that has more to do, this is more of a theme in the book, but immigrants, no matter where they are, are not always valued for their education level or their experience, and often they're pigeonholed into certain... So they take low-paying jobs mm-hmm. wherever they end up because they don't recognize their certifications or degrees. Yeah, so Harbender doesn't really see a case. She's kind of dragged into this with Natalia. I think what was most interesting about our introduction to her is um, her relationship to her parents. So they become a big part of the the narrative, the story, um, as she relates to them and her journey coming out to her parents, or at least feeling comfortable about who she is with her parents and her sexuality. And she's focused on some game called Panda Pop. That, that <laughs> she, was annoying to me. She's addicted to a game called Panda Pop, and it's on her phone. It's her mobile phone. Yeah. I if think she's not engaged in the investigation. She's on her phone with Panda Pop. <laughs> that was annoying. <laughs> I think that, for me, really underscored another, another theme in the book, um, which is loneliness. I think she was really just kind of passing the time with Panda Pop. Mm-hmm. and not dealing with the actual issues that were bothering her in her life. Her family and living her true life. Yeah, she just kind of is a character that I think largely feels out of place with her family, but also in the society that she lives in, and even in her job. She's a female detective, so I think she is just in this constant place, at least in this story, of, of not feeling included or a hundred percent accepted mm-hmm. no matter where she is and I think Panda Pop was her outlet it'll be interesting because I think there's another book featuring Harbinger and it'll be interesting to read that and see how she was in that book hmm. Hmm. Um, I think we won't discuss her parents too much or maybe we can wait to talk about that in the theme but I do think her parents are worth kind of talking about Mm-hmm. And her relationship to them. something are important. <laughs> something that really stood out to me about this book was her relationship with her parents. What surprised me was her father. Hmm. The 
we can get into that later, but mm. he did surprise me. Um, so then we have another character that I think the next character we meet is Benedict. He is the owner of the coffee shack, notably not a cafe, but a shack. Mm-hmm. On the beach. <laughs> On the beach, seaside. And his coffee is great. <laughs> Benedict notably also spends a large portion of the, the book start making hearts in the coffee that he serves to Natalia without notice. Yeah, she doesn't notice it. She never notices it. Nope. <laughs> Which I think was just kind of a fun, interesting play on Natalia's own U- Ukrainian background. I think that was just a lighthearted way to kind of showcase Benedict, who is an ex, ex-monk, ex um, who also kind of like Harbender, um, and interestingly, Natalia is a little cut off from his family, doesn't really feel like he is necessarily part of society, doesn't have like a, a strong connection feeling to the rest of the world. Um, and I would say Benedict is a character that largely lives his life with his heart on his sleeve. Yes. And then that is humorously contrasted with Natalia's kind of dry, to the point, um, no nonsense. Mm-hmm. And kind of just blunt personality. Well, and it does say in the book that when she came to England, it took her a while to get used to the sexual mores in England. So I'm wondering what Ukraine is like. <laughs> <laughs> well, Benedict is definitely not up front. So Natalia, I think that meant Natalia was really just expecting it to be more of a, hey, let me hit you over the head with I like you. And Benedict is over there just making... In his head. Mm-hmm. He's a virgin, too. Yeah, that was uh, <laughs> another part of his personality. He's very focused on his virginity. He's very intellectual. He's well-read. Although, usually classics and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, on the junk, people read. So, very smart. Yeah. Very observant. An odd character. Mm-hmm. I liked him a lot. <laughs> And then lastly, I would say like the the last really big character we have in the book is Edwin. He was Peggy's friend and neighbor. So he also lives at this retirement community. He also is a gay character. um, And he used to be a journalist, reporter. He worked for BBC. But he did all kinds of different things for them. Um, He started out low on the totem pole, but by the time he retired... He was in charge of some show or something. Hmm. He was really high up with BBC. Mm -hmm. So Edwin is just an interesting character in the fact that he is, I think, the the biggest connection to Peggy. He kind of was close to her age. He spent the most time with her day to day, um, had the most insights into who she was. And I think that is something that I just wish I had seen more of was Peggy. She really was an interesting character, and she was killed off immediately. Mm-hmm. And so I wish that there had been more of her in the book. Yeah, Edwin was probably one of my favorites mm-hmm. in the book. He was very gentlemanly, and he was very set in his ways. Um, he was depressed, and especially with the death of Peggy, she's the only thing that made it worth living in that CU court 
Yeah, he was not looking forward to life there after Peggy. But they were all generally connected. They'd all meet for coffee at Benedict's Coffee Shack. Mm -hmm. And they were friendly. I wouldn't say friends, but friendly. Through the book, these people become friends. Yeah, they become more like a family to each Mm -hmm. other. Family. I think that really is a good segue. This takes us into the themes of the book, which are, I think, what strikes me the most about these characters is that each one of them is lonely in some way. They don't feel connected to their larger society, and a lot of them are disjointed from their immediate family. Even Peggy, you do meet her son and his wife in the book, um, and they are not chummy, um, and that, that is just a common theme for every single one of these five characters, is that they don't have super close present-day family relationships, and they feel a sense of loneliness and disjointedness, and they don't feel part of the larger society, and I think that, interestingly, they didn't necessarily see the connection or the friendship that they had with each other um, until Peggy's death. Mm-hmm. And they started the investigation. Well, her son did not grieve like a son. You would expect a son to grieve in the passing of his mother. Yeah, so I think there are many other characters in the book, kind of segueing here, many other characters in the book that if we talked about them, they're minor characters, they're enjoyable characters, but they're minor characters, and they're each related to specific points in the plot line so we should probably avoid them so we don't give too much away but I will say um I think this is something you and I talked about a little earlier as we were reading the book was that I really felt like Nigel himself was a a bit of a red herring Mm -hmm. that he wasn't so much there to exist as Peggy's son as much as to throw us off the trail of the actual murderer yep that didn't work for me, but I was clueless <laughs> as to who the killer was until the end. <laughs> Interesting. So I think, well, let's just keep going with themes, and then we'll kind of come back to the end of the book. In general, I just kind of felt like these were very lonely characters that gained a deeper connection and realized the connections that they did have through the investigation. What did you think, Rue? Yeah, I got that sense as well. And especially, like, Edwin and those people living in Seaview Court who are in their retirement and stuck in an apartment on the beach somewhere, which, you know, I think sounds pretty good. But <laughs> <laughs> They disagree. I think that leads us to another theme that you're getting to, which is just life in retirement, retired life. And um, Peggy and Edwin really kind of open the door for the reader to start considering what it's like to live your life in retirement and the hardships that may come with that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not currently having any hardships other than trying to deal with doctors and insurance, but <laughs> I have a pretty good retirement life because mm. I have you and Joseph. Mm. But see, there's a family connection, and these people didn't have that. Yeah, they all lack that ability to find direct support from a, a family member. I think more largely, and Harbender and her relationship to her parents in particular, for me, also really highlight the treatment of senior citizens in 
society at large, just a world society. Obviously, we have some cultures and some countries that do a much better job taking care of their elders and making them still part of, making them still active members of the family that can be viewed as helpful and distinguished members that are just part of the family and not someone that you just kind of put in the corner and are waiting for them to die, you know? What um, I liked about Carlinda's family is she lives with her parents, and her mother is this fantastic cook. They even spoke about some recipes that she made. Neil, her partner, was more than ready to sit down and, <laughs> you know, indulge in Neil is Neil is her detective partner. Yes, detective partner. But... I enjoyed reading about, I even looked those recipes up in Paprika. (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's Roadhead. You Mm -hmm. might know about those Mm -hmm. recipes. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, I'm very interested in the way other cultures live together Mm -hmm. and the foods that they cook and how they, because food brings community, you know, around the table. And so that's important to me and I like reading about it. Carpenter, her brothers, took over the business, or at least one of them did. But she was dealing with actually taking care of the parents because she lived in the home. So she at least had family. She just felt a little disconnected because she hadn't shared with them who she truly was. Yeah, I think that that was very interesting that Harbinder was the only character that really had strong family connections, but... In her own way, she was removed and disconnected or divided from them. She was hiding herself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that was... I think her relationship, her relationship to her parents is interesting to me for a lot of reasons. The first one is that they're Indian, and so just like you mentioned, Rohit is obviously on my mind as we're reading this and kind of the cultural differences that come from... Mm-hmm. Oh, this is maybe something that Rohit experiences, um, especially when you think about coming out to your Indian parents. There is a particularly funny scene to me in the book um, where Harbender's mother has invited two older women (laughs) (laughs) to dinner, and they're really there to review Harbender, kind of see how pretty she is talk to her, see what her personality is like, almost, I'm 100% sure, there to start getting her set up with an arranged marriage. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Because that's what they do in India. (laughs) So Rohit refers to older women like this as aunties. Yep, and they did in the book, too. (laughs) That's how Harbender also referred to them. I definitely had to kind of pause in the book at that point and call Rohit and let him know about these aunties and ask him if he's experienced anything like that before. And he said, oh, yeah, all aunties are like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so this definitely this this part of the book definitely had um, that connection for me. It made me think a lot about Rohit and his connection to his family members. It made me think about my connection to you and Joseph's connection to you in the fact that you're still very much an active part of our family and that, you know, it makes you think about how I saw you treat our grandma, um, my grandma. Um, She was always there with us and 
I don't know, just had that was on my mind as I was reading through that. Me too. Hmm. I thought about Rogan a lot reading this book and Mother. Yeah, I think it definitely, this book for sure kind of brings up that parent child relationship theme where you're contemplative about what those kinds of relationships can be like. Um, Natalia and Harbender and Benedict. Well, even Peggy. I would say Edwin was really the only character that I don't think we necessarily got into his relationship with his parents, but um, the other four, you really do, from chapter to chapter, explore what their relationships are like and um, some of the challenges that come from those relationships. Yep. Um, Which is kind of a heavy theme. I don't know how to describe that. Those are heavy themes that are introduced in a, a much lighter way than some of the previous books we've been talking about. Yes. Yes, it was it was a fun read. And even though it dealt with stuff like that, it was still a fun read. But in America, we have a long way to go. But then when you think about it, taking care of an elder parent can put a strain on a, a, a child in their life. Mm-hmm. Not all children are able to handle the financial end of that, much less you know, the caring, the effort, the time consumption. Yeah, I think it's not perfect. That was something you and I were talking about just today is about how in America in particular, this book isn't in America, but I think it definitely any good book kind of makes you think about the society that you live in and we were talking about the housing industry and just the housing market and how prices are going up and up and um, you know, NPR recently I was listening to them talk about how your home is one of the biggest wealth assets that you can pass down to a child. And more and more we're seeing parents not be able to do that. And that makes it harder for their their children to move up economically. Um, and it, it, ju- it does put more and more strain. It's just something that is on your mind as you're kind of going through these themes and reading about them really making this a heavy theme. This is not a huge heavy theme in the book. It is a much... No, it's just... It's a nod, I would it's say. It's kind of, you know, in your awareness mm-hmm. while you're reading the book. But the book is lighthearted and fun to read. Yeah. Maybe that says more about you and me. Maybe. <laughs> Being heavy people <laughs> and constantly thinking about... Well, you go through a pandemic, you start thinking about things. Yeah. What it's like in America for other people. Mm-hmm. The pandemic really focused my attention on restaurant industry and the people who work for them, and all of a sudden they're devastated. Mm-hmm. So yeah, well, I think this book kind of nods to all of those themes in its own way. Natalia is an immigrant um, who is working in the service industry, but she has nice clothes and has a nice car, and it doesn't mm-hmm. quite fit. Which also feeds Harbender's suspicion. Mm. <laughs> when Harbender is thinking that possibly Natalia. I do think that was a little bit, uh, I mean, you could wonder <laughs> if that wasn't more of a, hey, this this lady is Ukrainian. Do I really trust Ukrainians? I think for a lot of societies, anytime you start to get into that part of the world, there are concerns about trust worthiness mm-hmm. you know one culture to another mm-hmm. yep. it was 
one minority suspiciously looking at another minority, which is not Mm -hmm. something we always kind of think about. But one thing I like about this book club and the kind of books we read is learning about other cultures Mm -hmm. and all these major themes that are coming up and really having to think about it. Yeah. So this has been great. I don't want to forget one big theme that's kind of related to this, which is the LGBTQIA. Once again, here we are, Rue, reading a book with queer characters. Well, it's a big part of life these days. Mm-hmm. As I told you, what is accepted in one generation becomes a norm in the next. We're in the norm section. Mm-hmm. So even though there is still a lot of prejudice out there and hate, it's more accepted than you think because it's prevalent in books that you wouldn't think it'd be in there. But it is because it's a big part of life. Yeah. I just think it's humorous, you know. These are definitely not books we pulled out thinking that they would have... No, we didn't look for gay books. Mm-mm. No. Well, very fitting for Pride Month, for sure. There were definitely multiple characters in this book that were um, that identified either as gay or bisexual or lesbian. Um, and it definitely makes you kind of think about how those um, people like that, people like myself, kind of go through life and how they adapt their surroundings. Yes, and you really, you can't hate people for the way they are. That's just ridiculous. No matter what your beliefs are, you cannot do that. God wouldn't ask you to do that. Hmm. Well, I do think, um, you know, for me, uh, people that identify as LGBTQIA tend to be the strongest people that I know. They're usually very independent and while they can have a variety of mental health issues or sub- substance abuse issues just from being kind of pushed outside of their family mm-hmm. or really struggling to accept themselves at times, um, they're definitely some of the strongest people I know just because they have, at a very early age usually, had to really think about what it means to not be part of the norm and to feel very excluded including from their family members, even even if they don't know if their family would choose to exclude them or not. It, it, you just grow up feeling very different mm-hmm. and not accepted. Well, your self-esteem and your brother's has always been my main concern from the time you were born. So facing this with my sons has been no-brainer for me. I love my children. Nothing will change that. But definitely was not an easy road for us. It was not easy for any of us. You were on my mind as Harbender was kind of dealing with coming out to her parents in particular because, you know, uh, I think back to very early on in our own journey kind of going through this and uh, you didn't ask a lot of questions. Like you, you weren't asking if I was seeing anyone. You weren't asking what my experiences had been like. And sometimes I got the feeling that that was because you were worried about offending me or saying it the wrong way or asking the wrong kind of question. And so I often... If I could give anybody any advice that's struggling to talk to their parents about being 
gay or lesbian or bisexual or pansexual, transsexual, any, any shape, um, is that sometimes your parents don't know how to move forward and you kind of have to drag them with you. And yep. so I, I remember in college having to kind of <laughs> just be a little more blunt and lead with something that I thought you might be curious about, but you weren't asking about because I, I felt like you didn't know the right way to ask it. Well, that's certainly true. I spent a lot of time wondering what I did to cause it. <laughs> yeah. I did, and I went from one extreme to the other before I finally came back to the middle and decided, this is your life, not mine. There's nothing I can do to change it. There's nothing you can do to change it. So I just love my kids. Yeah, and we love you. But it has definitely been a challenging road for all of us, for you included, and I'm very proud of the the growth that you've shown. You've definitely been willing to kind of learn about my experience and the experiences of people like me, and I'm very appreciative of that. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So that was definitely on my mind just reading this book. Were there any other themes that come up for you? Mm, I think the fact that Benedict having to transform from a monk to just a normal person, he was looking for someone to love and to love him. Mm-hmm. And he didn't know how to go about it. That was really interesting to me. Yeah. He kept his love of God. He knew the Bible backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he treated people the right way that a Christian should treat people. And it's just interesting to me <laughs> how this all worked out for him. Yeah, I think for for a book that is so lighthearted, it really touched on a lot of the different parts of our society. So I think Benedict, like you're saying, really represented a more positive religious sect mm-hmm. um, that we don't often see, or at least isn't the main focal point of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Edwin and Peggy really bring out that kind of elder conversation and what it means to be an elder and how we treat our elders and life going on. I think, especially when we, when we think about having a life after retirement, it's possible. And it's not something that we focus a lot on in our youth because we're so busy getting to retirement. We just want to get to retirement, but then what does that mean? What does that look like? And so they kind of bring that to the forefront for us. And then Natalia and Harbender really make you think about the immigrant experience. And on top of that, they bring in additional layers of what does it mean to feel disconnected from your family? And what does it mean to be gay or to identify as LGBTQIA in your society and how you come out to your family members? And Harbender is um, a female police detective and working in a very Mm male-driven industry. So there's that kind of sexism that you see occurring at the same time. I don't think it's hard to imagine why she would be addicted to Panda Pop. I think she (laughs) probably had to compartmentalize a lot of herself as she was going throughout her day, whether she was with her family or at work or you know, there wasn't a lot of her time and Panda Pop was a way for her to, I think, help compartmentalize herself 
Notably, at the end of the book, she has made a point of giving up Panda Pop. Mm -hmm. So as all these characters start to realize their connection to one another and they grow their connection as they start to investigate Peggy's death and reveal the murderer or murderers, mm -hmm. um, you really see that kind of come full circle for her and the rest of the characters that they've made their own family and that they're dealing with their problems together and that they're better off for that. She starts out, too, with her detective partner not being really, you know, not being really confident in him. But I think by the end of the book, she has changed her opinion. Mm. So that was interesting. And then Edwin, being the retired person who lost his best friend there, he had the, this whole murder investigation brought purpose to his life. Mm -hmm. So it kind of energized him and changed his opinion and brought him out of that depression. Yeah, I think I think a lot of them lacked that purpose. That, that and family, he, he had this family going mm -hmm. with Natalia and Benedict. Yeah. One of my favorite parts about Edwin in the book was after he had received a compliment from another detective in help, Aberdeen. <laughs> helping with the case. Um, and he really latched on to that compliment. He milked it for at least three chapters. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he was essential, essential. to the investigation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no one could go anywhere without him. He had to be part of the conversations. He was... <laughs> An essential detective uh -huh. member. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> he was a funny character for sure. A lot of them were. Um, and I think that's part of that lightheartedness. So um, this, I think really, this may be our shortest podcast episode ever, but I think this really takes us into Ellie Griffiths and just talking about her as a writer and how she was able to kind of introduce all of these topics and a much lighter way than we see in a lot of the books that you and I have already read and will be reading. Amnesty will be a pretty heavy read, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so this book just really stands out amongst the list just for its lightheartedness and, and funness. I think one reviewer had referred to this as a smile fest. Yeah, I definitely smiled my way through. <laughs> but Ellie Griffiths has a, a lot of books out there. I was looking at it today and I found two. Her new one is entitled One, Two, Three. I really want to read that. Mm. But the library didn't have that. So I've got, it is, this is what it always is, or something like that is the title of mm. it. I've got it on hold, mm. on Libby. And so I'm going to read other books by Ellie Griffiths because I enjoyed this one so yeah. much. It was an easy read. She had a, a really fun story. And... Um, the characters were interesting. Her character development was interesting, for sure. Let's see what the title actually is. This is how it always is. That's the no. That's Laurie Frankel. I'm sorry. That's not Ellie. <laughs> see, it's that retirement brain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She does have. Oh, I got some more on Libby. Actually, let's see. <laughs> If you're unfamiliar, Libby is a app that you can download to your mobile devices and it lets you connect to your local library so you can actually get ebooks through your library and it works just like you were there physically. Books can be checked out. This is not a paid advertisement, um, <laughs> but you can check books out through Libby 
but you can get it on your iPad or your mobile phone. There are a limited number of, um, I guess it's, it works like licensing. So they can only um, loan out a limited number. And so you may end up on a wait list for certain books, but they, they update all the time. Mm-hmm. I got The Zigzag Girl and The Chalk Pit by Ellie Griffiths. Check out some more of, yeah. of her books. You'll have to let and me know. Laurie Frankel sounds very interesting. <laughs> You'll have to let us know mm-hmm. what you think about the rest of her her books. Okay. Um, something that stood out to me uh, that I just thought was kind of funny. I had been reading a um, interview that Ellie had given about this book in particular, and the inspiration behind Peggy, and just the plotline of the book itself. Um, came from another book she had written and it had been reviewed I think maybe it had been the New York Times that had reviewed it and they had really focused on a component of the book that had been inspired by her aunt I I guess the murder had been it had involved a stair lift um, that her aunt actually had been using and so it had given Ellie the idea for her book and her aunt got a really big kick out of kind of being Pesuedo mentioned in the review that way. And that mm-hmm. I think that she had said that that had really kind of made her think about um, people like that just being part of murder mysteries. Her aunt had been an inspiration for her in that book. And that kind of led her to the development of Peggy. And um, I think the interviewer at that point had asked, how does your... How does your aunt feel about inspiring a character that's ultimately murdered? <laughs> I think Manny and I could solve a mystery. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We might take, need to take some self-defense classes so we can right. kick butt. Right, and some snacks, maybe. And some snacks. Uh-huh. Coffee. Mm-hmm. You might end up needing a nap or two, so... Yeah, I mean, you do get tired, so you have to have it could take a while for the, that that particular murder mystery to be solved. Right. It, you know, we read a lot uh-huh. of books like this. So. Mm-hmm. Manny and Randy, detectives. Right. What do you think are the chances that the police would allow you to be part of the... The lozy <laughs> You might actually get arrested. Not a chance in you know where mm-hmm. would they be listening to us. Mm-hmm. So, but they should. Because... We could do it. Right. Well, you know what? Maybe you two should start with cold cases. Oh, that's a thought. Right. Because then the detectives aren't actively, you well, know. Well, you know, I like to read about them. I don't think I want to look at the pictures of those things. Uh-huh. Maybe not. Okay. Well, we'll come back to this idea and we'll see where it goes. Okay. Um, I'm sure it'll be a while before we get <laughs> a Manny and Randy update. Yeah. <clears throat> We'll kind of see where that goes. Um, should we kind of talk about the murder itself? Like, were you... Super, I think you already mentioned you were caught off guard by who the murderer or yeah, murderers... Yeah, I didn't have a clue who the real murderer was. Hmm. But there were indications throughout the book, and I've been really paying attention. <laughs> but I was so distracted by how much I liked the characters. You know, mm-hmm. And I got into the fun of it. Yeah. So I wasn't really concentrating on the clues. But yeah, I was surprised. I yeah. know you figured it out, but I didn't figure it out until they told me. 
I think um, in this book in particular, I know we don't really give a good insight to just how many characters there are. We're trying not to reveal too much, but um, this is a really fun read. There are a ton of characters, and I think for me, I kind of saw that as just a lot of red herrings. So I kind of viewed each character suspiciously as like, okay, you're not, you're not who you are meant to be. You're just here to distract. Yeah, but I have retirement brain. <laughs> I'm in it for the fun. Well, it was a fun read. I really enjoyed it. I would recommend Ellie in this book. I would recommend anything Ellie Griffiths writes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think once again, this is probably our shortest. I don't really know where we'll end up after editing, but this is probably going to be our shortest podcast episode ever. But not, you know, it's a good one nevertheless it was definitely a good book i'm really happy we read it together um and i'll just reiterate your point earlier that i'm really enjoying reading so many different books with you and kind of having all these different conversations with you it's been a lot of fun i think our friends are also enjoying that component oh good (laughs) yeah that's really cool all right well um i don't think there's much more to say other than um please definitely check this book out Uh, And don't forget to join us in our next episode next month, where we'll be discussing Amnesty by Aravind Adiga. Um, That kind of brings more of that focal point to the immigrant experience. In Australia. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Same. All right. Well, thank you all so much, and we hope you'll join us next time. Goodbye.